Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mr. Speaker Speaks. You know, this is the podcast that informs, challenges, and inspires. It's real talk from real people about real things. But most importantly, it's the show where the guest gets to speak. Learn more about me at VincentTEdwards.com and join the online community at VincentOnDemand.com where you can get exclusive access to seminars, trainings, videos, and much more to help you pivot into your purpose with power and precision. You know that I believe that life is all about purpose. Do you know yours? I have a great guest for us today. He is known as the networking guru. My guest today will be Dr. George Frazier. And want to let you know that today's show is brought to you by Program Success, your source for professional news and information. Program Success magazine spotlights the success of individuals who have excelled in their arenas of expertise. More information is available at ProgramSuccess.net. Program Success, the name says it all. One final thing before we go into the prayer on tonight and then into our inspirational scripture. I want to just let you know, we live in a litigious society. And do you have access to an attorney? Um, do you know your rights? Because it's said that if you don't know your rights, you don't have any. And you can learn more about protecting yourself and your family at MrSpeaker.com. That's M-R-S-P-K-R dot com. M-R-S-P-K-R dot com. Find out more about your rights. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today. Thank you for another opportunity to come and to share. I don't take it lightly, Lord, because you could have chosen anyone, but you chose me to be here on this day with Dr. Fraser. Father, I just ask that you take control of this conversation. Let it be filled with information that will be beneficial to all that hear. Not only that they hear, but they get inspired to do something with it. Because, Lord, we know the only way things get done is if you do it. Activity brings results. Now, Father, I just ask that your hand be upon my guest. Bless him in all of his endeavors that he will continue to do what it is that he does for the community and for the world. Continue to strengthen him in Jesus name. Amen. The inspirational passage of scripture today comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter four, verses nine through 12. And it states two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Our inspirational passage of scripture today. My guest, Dr. Fraser is chairman and CEO of FraserNet. Um, he created that with a vision to lead a global networking movement that brings together diverse human resources to increase opportunities for people of African descent. He's the publisher of the award-winning success guide worldwide, the Networking Guide to Black Resources. His views have been solicited by media as diverse as CNN and the Wall Street Journal. With that, Please join me in welcoming to Mr. Speaker Speaks, Dr. George Frazier. How are you doing today, doctor? I'm doing wonderful. Good to hear your voice. And uh, God bless you for all the great work 
business and you continue to do, and uh, you have charted a good and righteous course, you have stayed that course, and then all that is due you will come to you. So I am blessed to be with you uh, for this time that we have together, and uh, I'm looking forward uh, to our discussion. Yes. You know, people see you from afar. You do lectures, seminars, and, you know, we tend to, to view it as, wow, does he have personality? outside of being serious is he a funny person (laughs) you know so so serious can you share with our listening audience something that they don't know that they will say oh my goodness he is a real guy yeah well if you ask my friends my my circle of friends about me perhaps one of the First things that they will say that a lot of people don't really know, unless you know me up close and personal, is that I'm a really funny guy. I'm into topical humor and situational humor. And I find humor in some of the weirdest things, good things and bad things. So that is not what people know about me unless they engage me in something generally other than a serious conversation about the things that I do and the things that I love doing. But yes, I'm a pretty, pretty good sense of humor. That's a B. I've been playing golf for 50 years, 50 years. I'm a two handicap. And I tell people my first handicap is that I play golf and my second handicap is my swing. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody see that's golf humor. So you have to know golf to understand. Oh yeah. I I caught it right away. (laughs) Right. Right. Exactly. So, um, so I'm a, I'm, I'm a golfer and, um, I like writing. I write something every day. And I like stealing. Okay, I uh, I was Picasso who said that it is better to steal than to copy. I say this is true. It's not what you steal from. It's where you take it to. So there's nothing wrong. All, all, All of us are stealing. I mean, there is nothing new under the sun. True. It's all been written. It's all been said. We read. And we get ideas and we shape it and curve it and massage it in ways that we say the same thing differently. So it's, it's, it's okay. So I do a lot of stealing because I do a lot of reading. I read a hundred books a year. And so when you read as much as I read, um, I mean, your, 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 your mind is going to, pop with ideas and insights and all you need to do is figure out how this is you you look you read i read books like you shape a a mound of clay right and then how you shape it just depends on what you see uh, and what you feel and um, so uh, my mind is alive with activity when i'm reading and i'll read something and i'll say hmm that is really that's deep. That's good. I love that. What can I do with that? How can I reshape that? How can I say it differently or add a different, perhaps nuanced insight? Um, so it's 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 all wonderful, and I and I love it. All right, that's a, 
those are some things that most people don't know about me. Okay. So now that gives me an insight of where you come up with all the little quotes and things that you post on uh, mm-hmm. Instagram. Cause I was wondering mm-hmm. how does he come up with this stuff? And some of, I mean, some of it is just funny and it, it goes back to your humorous side. And I was like, wow, right. that, that, that is nice. And one that I, I, I love that you posted recently um, was if your absence never bothered them, your presence <laughs> never mattered. Matt, matter. that- <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. So that, all that is, is just playing with words. That, that, that's, it's just some, um, it's just changing the syntax of ideas and then the syntax of words. Um, and because that has been said before, not that way. Right, not that way, and not with the twist that I put on it. But um, again, if you're reading a lot, if you're studying a lot, if you're engaged in personal growth and development, lifelong learning, and constant, never-ending improvement, uh, you're constantly creating because you're constantly observing. And what you, and certainly, I repeat and give credit where credit is due. Uh, other quotes that I love um, that have. Uh, you know, that have shaped me in my life. I, I'm a big um, James Baldwin fan, and, and I just I just love so many quotes by James Baldwin. My latest favorite is from James Baldwin. If I love you, I have to make you conscious of the things you don't see. I, I love that by James oh Baldwin. Oh, my goodness. That's deep. I love that, right? That's I love deep. you. I have to make you conscious of the things that you do not see, right? That's beautiful, beautiful wording, right? Uh, another one, just three words, powerful, deep. You have to think about it for, you know, for some time. You have to dream on it. It was James Baldwin who said, we are born, we suffer, and then we die. I said, wow, okay. <laughs> now, when you un pack that Vincent when you unpack that what it what he's really saying to us is that we will all suffer there will be no exceptions to the rule Jesus Christ was crucified the son of God right we will all suffer it is how we manage our suffering that will determine the meaning of the dash between the year you were born and the year you died but you will not go you will not live without suffering it's just how you manage it you are right on point and a lot of people try to get around suffering even christians they're always praying uh, lord take this cup away from me and you know even mm-hmm. jesus said it but he, he broke down and said nevertheless not my will but thy will be done and what i've learned doctor is that it's sometimes is most of the time in your suffering is when you really really learn some things absolutely Bingo. That is absolutely right. That's wisdom. That's exactly right. No pain, no gain, no resistance, no strength, no rain, no rainbow. It was Marcus Aurelius who said it the best. Marcus Aurelius was one of the five great Caesars. And Marcus Aurelius said, the impediment to action advances the action. What stands in your way becomes the way. I said, whoa, oh my, it's okay. No, I say it a different way. I say it a different way, but it's the same thing. It's not as eloquent as Marcus. 
But I say the obstacle is the way. Where there is no obstacle, there is no way that you you learn far more from failure than you do from success. Life is about stumbling and making mistakes, and this is how we learn. Now, if you don't learn, the Bible tells us you will continue to continue to repeat it until you learn it. Right? So making i've told people a million times i have failed my way to success and i'm proud of it but i've learned from my mistakes and my failures and i've matured and i've grown wiser as a result of that Uh, and i've never given up and i've never was negative or angry about a mistake or failure i just simply said to myself "Mm, what did i learn and I say that to people all the time when I talk to them, they'll express to me a problem that they have or something that they're dealing with. And I just, you know, I listen to them intently and I say that that's, you know, that's profoundly interesting, Bob. What did you learn? Hmm. What did you learn from that? All right. How will that help you grow? Well, what's, what's the upside of that? I know you we you spent 20 minutes on the downside. What's the upside? What did you learn? Right? Because all learning costs. Right? Either it's going to cost you in money, we made a heck of a lot of mistakes. It's cost us some serious money. Right? Uh, yes. Right? It, it learns it in, you know, corrupting your faith. It can there's all kinds of damage that if you do not process your mistakes and failure in the correct way or with the correct mindset right your your mistakes or failures are destructive yes right uh, as opposed to constructive so i don't know how we got off into this oh no but this is great i mean this this is great this is what i want to talk because when when you're talking about that it reminds me of something that i heard once i i I believe it was this preacher that said he was asked a question because he said he was a very successful businessman and somebody asked him said how did you become so successful And he said, making good decisions. And he said, Mm -hmm. how did you learn to make good decisions? He said, by making bad ones. And so that's right. And it kind of goes into one of the quotes you have, a mistake repeated Mm -hmm. more than once is a decision. And so what is it that you learn from your mistakes? Right. That's right. Very important question to ask in the quiet of your own mind. You don't have to go public with it. But you need to be asking that when you make mistakes, when you fail, right? When you don't do it quite right, you you need to be asking yourself, you know, how could I have done that better? How could I have done it differently? How can I improve? That then demonstrates that you are committed to lifelong learning, constant, never-ending improvement in personal growth and development. And it was Socrates who said it beautifully. He said, the only good is knowledge. And the only evil is ignorance, right? Mm-hmm. And I absolutely agree with that. Now, when people display their ignorance, right, and often they do, I don't chastise them uh, about that. I listen, and I may gently nudge them, uh, depending on the mood that I'm in, by saying, you probably need to do a little bit more research on that. Or I may say, there is some truth to that. But there's another side of that. 
story. You probably need to learn both sides of the story. So you really just want to provoke people to think. I generally start my talks when I uh, when I speak is I don't want you to necessarily think like me. I just want you to think. That's all I want you to do. Just think. And that's progress if you're thinking right and if you're intellectually curious one of the challenges that we have in our community is that there is not enough intellectual curiosity which lays the foundation if you're intellectually curious if you're a reader if you think deeply about things um that level of intellectual curiosity um, is the foundation for making better critical decisions, right? So we're going to be faced with having to make critical decisions, and there's not not enough of us, right, who can think critically and, and deeply enough to apply critical thinking and to their response, or to uh, the execution of of an action that they want to take. So, but that you know that requires intellectual curiosity. That I'm you know you're constantly learning. I, I tell people the key to success is very simple. You need to be an inch wide and a mile deep in your subject matter expertise, and then you need to be a mile wide and an inch deep. In matters of the world, so that you can talk about something other than the sports and weather, uh, or what's going on uh, at the Real Housewives of Atlanta, right? You want to be engaging. You want to be well-rounded. You want to be able to have a meaningful discussion about a lot of different things. And that, again, requires studying and reading and always being curious. And I've been that way uh, as, as, as a little boy. Uh, as, so my parents and my siblings tell me I used to uh, carry around an encyclopedia. Wow. So my goal, it was my goal. I am not, we're talking about I'm 14 and 15 years old. My goal was to read every volume of the Encyclopedia Britannica. And then interestingly enough, uh, in my 20s, I became a, uh, a salesman for Encyclopedia Britannica. Yes, I knocked on doors. I went from door to door selling this incredible set of encyclopedias. And so, you know, everything is connected, right? Everything is connected. And if we stay in the moment and we learn um, and we listen, this is huge now. We have to listen. So I believe that God is constantly talking to us, telling us exactly what to do, except most people ignore the voice because God is requiring us to evolve and to change. And if you hate change, uh, you're going to really hate growth, right? <laughs> and, and most people just, hate it's change. It's easier sitting on a couch drinking a beer watching television. That's just much easier. So we ignore the voices giving us the direction hmm. because it requires work and everything you want in life is on the other side of hard. Oh. If it was easy, why would God need you? 
Yeah. I mean, and, and that's the thing, because most people today, and, and I want to ask you this, you talked about critical thinking, which takes me back to my, my high school days when I had uh, a teacher who was really big on critical thinking, and she was extremely hard on me, and I give her all the credit for who I am today, uh, Miss Helen Albert. But in today's society, with information being basically at the call of your voice, do you think that plays a role in the lack of curiosity and the lack of the will to study and to be more intense about gaining knowledge? Because we can just say, hey, Google, hey, Siri. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a point of view. Um, but but it could also be just depending on where your head is at, because it is so now easy to get. You do not necessarily have to go sit in a library and study and read books. You can get anything you want to know about anything by Googling it. Right. Anything. And there'll be more information on that thing that you want to know about than you'll ever have time to read. Right. So it's easy to get information much easier now it's a different kind of reading than reading a book or reading a scholarly journal that's a kind of reading uh it's sort of the mcdonald's of reading if you will um but it is still reading and it does count as far as i'm concerned uh, but we tend to move towards reading things that are about entertainment, entertainment, uh, and they are not very deep. They're more gossipy. They're more about what's going on in this person's life or that person's life, and 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 you know a lot of it is is negative. Now, I love biography, so I, I'm not criticizing people reading about people's lives. I think that's very important. Of the hundred books I read a year, probably forty. Biographies, okay, because I'm interested. I mean, a book has been written. I'm I'm I'm, I'm looking at a book right now. I have I'm in my office. There are about fifteen hundred books in in my office, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm reading a book uh, upon this rock, uh, um, and it was it's written by uh, the miracles of a black of of a black church. And Samuel Freedom wrote the book upon this rock the authors of small victories. And, uh, and and I love reading those kinds of books as well as you, if you look at my library, you will see there's the autobiography of Bertrand Russell, the autobiography of Churchill, the autobiography of Samuel Du Bois, Cook, right on down the line, the autobiography. I've read everything that, that Howard Thurman has ever written. Um, so I love reading about people's lives and how they navigated the hills and valleys of their lives. How did they overcome their blunders, their mistakes, their failures? What was their thinking? What happened? What was the circumstances, the happenstance, perhaps even the luck, right, that uh, appeared uh, as they navigated uh, their lives? I'm interested in that. And, um, and I try to apply as much of it as I can in resolving the daily issues and problems that, that I have myself and in providing advice and counsel to people in various things. So at 76, you read the, you reach the elder stage. You're, <laughs> All right. you're an elder. Now, there's a difference between being old 
and being an elder, two different things, right? Uh, old is one thing. You know, we hope that as a person gets old, you know, they live as a healthier life, uh, as healthy a life as they can. But hopefully, as they get older, they get wiser, uh, and they have gleaned important lessons that they're ready, willing, and able to share. Because I think that's part of the responsibility of eldership, and that is sharing, downloading what you have learned. Uh, and and I think there's a gap right now between younger generations in dialogue with older generations. I think back in the day, that was a very, very important part. Um, you know, I grew I was born in 1945, so you respected your elders, you were disciplined, you were obedient, um, you listened to them, you were raised by grandmama and them, and that whole elder-young person relationship was profoundly Powerful. Yes, we are was. missing a lot of that today. How do we, and how do we one get back to that? Because it's very important. Because I, I want to look here when you when what is it that you really really do? And I see it as networking, and not just networking, but building relationships. And what you what you were saying here was that the family, that nurturing, that elder relationship to the younger generation was very very vital. So what is it that you do to help facilitate that? Um, aside from <clears throat> over the last 25, 30 years, I've written six best-selling books on the subject, beginning uh, with Success Runs in Our Race, The Complete Guide to Effective Networking in the African-American Community. That book was written 30 years ago. Uh, it is a modern-day classic. It is required reading in 57 historically black colleges. It is the book that started the networking conversation and ultimately started the networking movement. And uh, it's, it was written in a culturally specific way because we 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 we, we learn differently. Black people learn differently than white Most people. Definitely. All visual, oral, visual, tactile, kinesthetic, and auditory learners. Right? Uh, we are the masters of the spoken. There's just no question about it. Um, and so I wanted to lay the foundation and wanted to redefine networking for our particular people. Right? And so the revelation, when I wrote that book, uh, it was 19, I wrote it in 1992. It was ultimately published by HarperCollins. Uh, in 1994, uh, and there were 14 books on networking already out, written by white folk. And I read all of them. I wanted to see what they were not saying, and I was trying to read in between the lines. And the revelation came to me through God um, that networking was not about getting, and that's how white folks sort of a position you network to get something wrong. My revelation is that you network to give. Mm. And as you give, you get. You ain't given, you ain't getting. Oh, that's biblical there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that, there you go. Given it shall be given unto you. Good measure. I'm going to stop right. right there. You ain't, you ain't given, you ain't getting. If you have nothing, it's because you've given nothing. That you cannot take out of life that which you have not put into life. 
right? That was the big aha in that book. Over a million copies sold. You can go on Amazon today and success runs in our race still sells 10,000 copies a year. And it's 30 years old. That was the revelation, right? That you, that you, that you give unconditionally. You don't give to get. You give unconditionally. And and when you give unconditionally, as the metaphor I use, I use is, um, I don't give my wife flowers because she gave me chocolates. That's a condition. I don't necessarily love Nora Jean because she loves me. I love her because of who she is. If she loves me back, that is good, but that is not the condition of my love, right? Um, so we 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 give unconditionally. So, but then the deeper part of that is to understand that it is impossible. This is how God has designed the system. It is impossible to give and not get. So every time we engage a new person. I don't ever tell the person that I'm meeting for the first time, but I'm in a contest with that person. They don't know I'm in a contest with them. Uh, and the contest is simply a little game I play in my own mind. And it's simply the first person that gives in this new relationship wins. Okay. So if you have observed me uh, in the public sphere networking, uh, and we have a conversation of five or 10 minutes, uh, you will ask me a question, I will answer the question, and then I will flip the script on you. And if we're having a discussion for 10 minutes, nine minutes is going to be about you. I'm going to ask you some wonderfully engaging questions. And what I'm, and the reason I do that is because I'm trying to find out who you are. I'm trying to find out what your needs are, what your dreams are, what, what your goals are. And as you're telling me these things, because I, I ask you, you know, very good questions that you're eager to answer. They're fun to answer. As you're telling me the answers to my questions to you, I'm going through my inventory of stuff and relationships and Things that I could possibly give you, serve you right now, right? And um, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure out how I can help you, right? That's, that's the attitude of my conversation. How can I serve you? That's how I go into everything. If you go to the Power Networking Conference, we're now in our 20th year. Everybody is amazed that the standard question of the 1,500 brothers and sisters, uh, top black professionals, business owners, and community leaders, the top question is, how can I help you? How can I serve you? All right? So here's the formula. It's a really simple little formula. It's this. Help me help you help me. You see, by understanding how I can help you, I then help you. And by helping you, I'm really helping me, right? Because it's impossible to give and not get. I may not get it directly from you, right? I'm not looking for it. But I'm depositing into the spiritual bank of giving, 
It's my attitude. It's my approach to life, right? And it comes back in spades. You can't get out of the way of it. And if people go into life thinking in that way, right, um, approaching their relationships in that way, uh, it's impossible to fail. It's just impossible to fail. You know, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And the fastest way to change yourself is to hang out with people who who are already where you want to be. So the point is, don't spend major time (laughs) with mine. And Dr. Fraser, Mm -hmm. I was just about to get that. That is the one thing that when we talked before stood out in my mind, I have it right here. Don't waste major time with minor people. And I, and I wanted to take it a little deeper this time and say, well, in forming relationships, what distinguishes the major from the minor and how do you develop those relationships? Mm, um, Patience, patience, empathy, empathy, um, effective communications and always try to approach the relationship from a loving, giving, serving, and adding value point of view. Because that's the purpose of life. The purpose of life is very simple. We make things complicated. God doesn't make things complicated. We make things complicated Sometimes so that we don't have to do it. We make things complicated to control power. So, but, but the purpose of life is very simple. It's loving, giving, serving, and adding the highest value to somebody or something every minute of every day. Right? So if you, and people can sense that, People can sense that. I I tell people all the time, you must speak with your ears and listen with your mouth. That's a nice way to say it. That is right? a nice right. way. In other words, what, what comes out of your mouth should be a reflection of the empathetic and compassionate and the critical listening that you just did. Mm. That's so that what comes out of your mouth is a reflection of what you are listening to, right? What you've read and, and, and those kinds of things. So um, that is how we do that. Empathy is the big thing. Empathy to put yourself in another person's position. Right. Um, And that's people. People want to be heard. People need to be loved and respected. And managing that in most of your relations is, is, is very easy to say, difficult to do. Because we are emotional people Our our initial response to stimuli is emotional. And this is why the most important skill that you can develop uh, as a person that just basically collects friends, right? Because you're just that that spirit. 
um, is your emotional intelligence, mm. your EQ. As you get older and wiser, your EQ will be more important than your IQ. I mean, I don't care how many degrees you have, right? If you have the personality of a box of rocks, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> it's just not going to happen for not you. Not going to happen. It isn't. You've met, you've met them. Oh, right? yes. Smart people, right? You just, right? They have the personality of a box of rocks. They never shut up. They never listen. They know every damn thing, <clears throat> right? Yes. You don't want to be around people uh, for long that are like that. So this is something that, that we all have to work on. Um, because if you want to change your life, you've got to change your relationships. And if, and if you're not, where you want to be in life is because you don't have the right people in your life because there is no success that you can attain, sustain, or maintain on your own by yourself in a vacuum. You know, that's not how the system was designed. We are a communal people, right? And now you do have to, this requires reading and research, but there is a difference in the way Black people think and how white folks think. I, I wrote about this in Success Runs in Our Race because I, it's very, uh, and, and Du Bois talked about it in the, in the Souls of Black Folks and the, 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 the doomness that we have to live through. But there is a Eurocentric worldview. And then there's an African-centered worldview. There's Eurocentric thinking. And then there's African-centered thinking. We are different people. So uh, for, for the sake of, of, of this discussion, I just opened the book to page 63. And I'm simply going to read you the two lines that describes the difference between a Eurocentric worldview and an African-centered worldview and the Eurocentric thinking and African-centered thinking. So this goes back to understanding who you are, knowing who you are. So let's say let's take a Eurocentric worldview. Order is imposed by the stronger force. The stronger force gains the advantage by ordering the universe as it wishes. That's Eurocentric thinking. African-centric thinking, or I'm sorry, worldview, uh, African-centered worldview is the universe is active and alive. And the laws of nature reveal its inherent order as well as the creator's divine laws now the gap between those two things <laughs> is as wide as the grand canyon it's huge okay? it is huge right. now, now check this out this is eurocentric this is now eurocentric thinking the other was worldview eurocentric thinking survival of the fittest promotes a drive for mastery and control of nature and the accumulation of possessions. That's Eurocentric thinking. African-centric thinking. There is a oneness of all things. Life is primary and must reflect a divine nature. Group maintenance, collectiveness, and sharing are essential. 
<laughs> Again, it's the a, difference yeah, in it, the thinking is as wide as a Grand Canyon. Most definitely, because what I hear there, the biggest thing left out is that sense of community and God mm-hmm. working together, right. building relationships to help one another and not trying right. to be in control, but work in unison to make things happen. That's right. That's right. No, no, no question about it. Um, so so we, if we go to. Um, Eurocentric cosmology, cosmology, the branch of philosophy dealing with the origin and the general structure of the universe with its parts, its elements, its laws, its characteristics um, and causalities. Eurocentric cosmology, humans exist apart and separate from nature in an independent and separate collection of entities that comprise the universe. African-centric cosmology, this is to your point, the universe originates from the creator and reflects the interconnectedness and the interdependence of all things. And huge. It's yeah. huge. And with that, and, and, and the way we think in our worldviews, Dr. Frazier, why is it then that it, there's the appearance that there is a lack of wealth creation and a lack of true relationships in the African-American community? We have been poisoned. I mean, that psychologically for 400 years we have been living in their world and Dr. Francis Cress Wellesley spoke on this many many times that we have been poisoned to, to such an extent that in many cases our DNA has been changed but that's deep poisoning all, there <laughs> That's deep poison. This is Francis. This is one of the preeminent black psychiatrists that have ever lived. She died a couple of years ago. And so we are, we are, in a sense, still out of our natural minds, right? We we understand that this does this doesn't feel right, um, and and we're struggling with it, uh. And it will require therapy, to be honest with you. But, but you see, black people don't get therapy. We don't get therapy. The closest we come to therapy is the black church. And so um, we are struggling with this. As we speak, it will take 100 years for us to come out of this stupor, the psychological wounding that we have been in and only the the most well-read and most sophisticated of black thinkers um, understand this deep trauma that we're struggling through right and we don't i don't talk about it a lot publicly because it's very hard for most of our people to grasp, but the boy in his book, The Souls of Black Folk, one of I think wrote one of the most beautiful uh, paragraphs ever written by a black man in, in the Souls of Black Folks, and he says, 
And a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness, this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others, of measuring one's soul by the cape of a world that looks on in amused contempt and pity. One feels a tuness, an American, a Negro, two souls, two thoughts, two unreconciled strivings, two warring ideals in one dark body whose dogged strength alone keeps it from being torn asunder. That's the boy. That's a powerful boy. There it is. It ex- he explains it. Hmm. He explains it. So this, and so we are we are unique in no no one else has ever gone through that. Hmm. Only African, right? Yeah, as people have gone through. This. So we're still wounded. We still suffer from low self-esteem, low race esteem. Said another way, when I get up in the morning and I do not love what I see in the mirror as a black man, there's no way that I can love you because you become a reflection of me. And these are all very deep subconscious behaviors and that require years of therapy. Right. But. And the closest we come to therapy is the black church because we don't, you know, we just don't do that. And with with you mentioning the black church, then what role do you see the black church having in not just being a place of healing by offering scripture, but being a, a catalyst in educating and getting people to get counseling? Yeah. A therapy rather. There are, there are some progressive black churches that have been saying that and doing that and then giving as close to therapy as you could get from the pulpit, from the Jeremiah Wrights of the world to the Reverend Dr. Freddie Haynes. I mean, there are a handful of very progressive uh, black pastors of generally speaking, large churches who who either perform therapy in an ecclesiastical way or they recommend we get therapy, right? But uh, there are not many. There are 85,000 black churches. I would believe uh, that probably 2% of those have the kind of progressive pastoral leadership that really brings us or helps to bring us out of this stupor. In other words, they help, they help us love ourselves. They help un, help us understand who we really are, that we are the children of the, of the slaves that would not die. We have the genetic encoding of the great kings and queens of Africa that we were building pyramids, solving complex engineering problems on other caves, on other people living in caves, uh, eating each other, quite frankly. Um, And if everything happens for a reason and serves us in some special way, uh, uh, and it does, uh, in spite of the fact that America has kept its foot on our throat for at least 350 years, we overcame that and we rose like the phoenix. So I believe that maybe we were not brought here, that maybe we were sent here. 
Do you believe that God would put his weakest people here to do his toughest job? I don't think so. How could an America who could morally, spiritually, and biblically justify, justify the kidnapping, raping, and pillaging of another two people, natives already in America and Africans brought to America, have any moral or spiritual grounding? And perhaps had Africans not been sent here, America might have been self-destructed by now. So we, we, we are an awesome and powerful people. We just don't really understand that. It has been beaten out of us. It's been taught out of us. And white folks knew what they were doing. Uh, they, knew, they knew to control a population of Africans who were bigger and stronger, uh, as smart as, but spoke different languages if they could divide and conquer, if they could willy lynch them. Uh, they could control them. Wow. That's exactly what happened. And that's what happened. And, that's, and we're experiencing that's strategy. It. And it's worked. Mm -hmm. And it worked. Oh, oh, there's no question about it. And, and, uh, just read the Willie Lynch letter, whether it is true or not. Uh, uh, it is an accurate depiction, uh, because all we have to do is just look around, look at trace history and see what, 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 what happened. That's what happened. And so they're not going to fix that. Uh, we're going to have to fix that. And that's the thing. And how do we, mm -hmm. how do we, how do we come together collectively to fix it is just, you know, because we have conferences, we have, I mean, I'm just speaking from, you know, the church perspective, we have conferences, we have books, we have all these gatherings, we do all these things mm -hmm. and we meet, we meet, we meet, we meet, we talk, we talk, we talk, we talk, but we don't do and do and do and do. And that's where I really have a, a, a challenge with that. And I really, that's what prompts me. Anything that I can do to help someone, I'm going to do it. If mm -hmm. it's in, in the right, if it's for the right, right. cause, the right, the right purpose. Sure. Yeah. sure. I'm not going to help you sell drugs. No. Right. <laughs> right. It's got, no, right. Absolutely. All right. Our goal is to learn for black people is to learn, earn and return. We have a lot of us learning and a lot of us earning, but not enough of us returning. So at 76 years old, I turned 76 last Saturday. Happy um, birthday. Belated. Thank you. And I've been serving black people for 40 years. Um, I've written six best-selling books. I've given over 2,500 speeches, 10 million frequent flyer miles. Um, here, is, here is my assessment of black folk in America. And I've been every place that black people have been dispersed. No question about it. I love black people. Uh, someone asked me the other day at a, a question, Dr. Fraser, who are your heroes? I said, my heroes are black people. I mean, they're, they're, they're no more heroic people on earth than black people. Though they are my heroes. Um, and he, but, but here's what I, this is my own little analysis, um, because I want to answer your question. And I call my little analysis my 85-10-4-1 rule. 85-10-4-1 rule about African-Americans. 85% of black folks in America are sleepwalking through life. 10% are pimping the sleepwalkers. 4% have pulled themselves out of that dark, sunken place and are ready to see the light. 1% are 
are the light, and they're ready to get the other four percent. All right, so let's do the math on that. Four percent of forty-six million. That's one million nine hundred eighty thousand, eight hundred eighty thousand, somewhere in that area. One uh, percent is about four hundred. Uh, 460,000. So they're about 2.2 to 2.3 million black people who are absolutely ready to lead, right? That's a marvelous number. Uh, we don't need all black people to get where we're going. In fact, I have to answer that question all the time. Black people may say, when are we going to get all black people to do this, all black people to do that? All black people have never done anything. All black people didn't want to be free. That's why Harriet Tubman had to carry a gun. All black people didn't support Garvey or Malcolm or Du Bois, right? Hell, Du Bois left America because he was so frustrated with white folk and black folk, right? If you've read, if you read his biography, all black people didn't support Dr. King. That's what split the Black Baptist Church when he came north and asked the black pastors and ministers in the north to help him with his southern strategy. And they said, no, man, leave those white people alone because you're messing it up for us. And the Gardner Taylors of the wor world and the Otis Mosses of the world said, no, we're going to help him. That split the Black Baptist Church. You have Progressive, right? And the National Baptist Convention. So, so all black people have never done anything. So we ain't waiting for all black people to understand what we're talking about. You can't, right? We can actually do it with one. Um, but we have to be careful about that because we tend to kill our leaders. So, so if we can have two and a half million leading, right? We will lead the rest of our people to the promised land. And that's the way it's always been. Margaret Mead spoke to that herself, right? And it's always been a few that have led people to the promised land. So that's how I see it. So um, my principle in networking is you don't have enough time to hang out with people who don't want what you want and don't see it as you see it. You don't, God is not giving you that much time, right? So you have to be, you have to build a network, you have to build a personal network, an operational network, and a strategic network. You've got lots and lots and lots of choices, and you have to be smart in your choices. And the first big choice that you're going to have to really be smart in is picking your significant other. Whether it's a wife or well, she's picking a husband or or you have a business and you have to pick a business partner. So these are huge decisions that can have major impact on your life. And that's just a singular decision. It's the first and foremost, picking your life partner, then selecting the people who you're going to hang out with. Hmm. That's huge. That's huge. That's going to determine your life. Yes, it is. Again, there is no success that you can sustain, maintain, or attain on your own by yourself in a vacuum. That's how God designed us. That's African-centered thinking. And that's why right? I started off yeah. with the scripture that I, I started off with today. Two are better than one. You know, mm -hmm. that, that's why I started with that. And we're coming up on you. I only have just a couple more minutes with you. And I'm, you mm. have inspired. Wow, that you, went fast, didn't it? Yeah, you have inspired <laughs> and challenged me. And I was like, I got a whole bunch of more questions, but I don't have a whole lot of time. If I could just mm -hmm. get you to, to, um, to think, uh, give us this. How has um, the, 
the the pandemic and social media changed the networking landscape, even with this new uh, audio chat app called Clubhouse. And then give me your in, uh, your insight on the book Powernomics. I have it, and I just haven't started reading it yet. Powernomics by Claude Anderson, the National Plan yeah. to Empower Black America. Yeah, it's a wonderful book. It's written. The book is about twenty five years old, and uh, Doctor Anderson is a genius, and uh, he's written a, one, a seminal text uh, on a strategy on how he believed that believes that black people can empower themselves and the, the, the stratification of that, how it, how it must be done, uh, the things that we must control. It's a very, very provocative and very interesting read and well worth your time, right? Uh, whether you agree with all of it in detail or granularly is, 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 is a whole nother thing, but it is worth the read in terms of his overall view and vision and um, uh, I love the book, and I've read it two or three times. I've probably given away at least 10 copies of it. Yeah, it's, it's a good, good read. Okay. And networking uh, in the pandemic and with uh, social media, especially like the Clubhouse app, how has that changed? Um, well, let me say it this way. We will never replace live contact, right? Black people touching black people, right? As I said, we are oral, visual, tactile, kinesthetic, and auditory people. We are about hugging. We want to feel you. We want to feel your energy. So that's the optimal way in which a people of our culture connects, engage, network um since the pandemic we've all been forced to sit down and think go on zoom or stream yarn and meet frequently as best as we can uh you know online and it beats a sharp stick in the eye let's just put it that way it's not the optimal i can't wait to get back to putting on my conferences and hugging black people and and, and, and those kinds of things, that for me is will always be number one. But but in the meantime, uh, to keep the engagement going, meeting new people, learning new things, uh, I'm okay uh, with this until there is something better. I haven't seen anything better under the conditions. Right? Now, as the conditions change, it will be a lot uh, I think every conference, black conference in America is going to be sold out once we can, once we feel safe mm-hmm. around each other again. Right. Right. But that's going to take some time, too. OK. In respect for your time, doctor, I've got to bring this to a close. I know you got some. I, w- I want to go for a little while longer, but I just want to say thank you for coming and sharing today because you truly informed, inspired and challenged me and my listening audience today, Dr. Frazier. I appreciate you. Uh, I want to uh, just put everybody on notice. We have our big global virtual power networking conference, August the 11th to the 14th. Uh, go to uh, powernetworkingconference.com, www.powernetworkingconference.com, and get your ticket and join us. Uh, four incredible days of uh, some of the best speakers, black speakers, and and um, uh, 
do movers, shakers, and decision makers, people who are doing a, they ain't just talking and come and visit with us. You'll love it. It's an award-winning virtual conference and it's like nothing you've ever seen before. It's very, very different. So I just want to get that little plug in and thank you for that. And uh, let's stay connected, please. Almost you stay the course and let's stay connected. Will do, Dr. Fraser. And once again, thank you so very much for spending your time with us. You've been listening to Mr. Speaker Speaks, you know, the show that informs, challenges, and inspires. Check me out on the internet at vincenttedwards.com. Also, join the online community at vincentondemand.com. Remember, check out to know your rights mrspkr.com mrspkr.com life is all about purpose are you living yours and all that you do be magnificent until next time be good be blessed but most of all be a blessing to someone